Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The first reading for today is the 141st Psalm. Now hear the word of the Lord. I call upon you, O Lord, come quickly to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as an increase in sense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not turn my heart to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds, in company with those who work in equity, do, let, do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the wretched strike me. Let the faithful correct me. Never let the oil of the wicked anoint my head. For my prayer is continually against their wicked deeds. When they are given to over those who shall condemn them, they shall learn that my words were pleasant. Like a rock that one breaks apart and shatters on the land, so shall their bones be strewn at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes are turned towards you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I alone escape. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a reading from the hand of the prophet Ezekiel. It's continuing part of our New Beginnings summer worship series. Hear now God's word. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel said, Mortal, your kinfolk, your own kin, your fellow exiles, the whole house of Israel, all of them, are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said. They have gone far from the Lord. To us this land is given as a possession. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, Though I remove them far away from the nations, and though I have scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary for them for a little while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone from within their flesh and give them a heart of flesh so that they may follow my statutes and keep my ordinances and obey them. Then they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after detestable things and after abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their heads, says the Lord God. 
The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. There is a prehistoric painting on a wall of a cave in northern Spain. This particular drawing from 10,000 years before the birth of Christ is of a great woolly mammoth, an enormous lumbering beast now extinct that bore a remarkable resemblance to an elephant. What's so fascinating about this drawing from the El Pendal cave is right there at the place where the beast's heart might go, might have been situated in his body, there is a red-shaped spot that looks amazingly like a large valentine. Keep in mind that this drawing is more than 12,000 years old, and yet it's possible to recognize how ancient and ingrained in our human imagination is the concept that the heart is the seed, the origin, the center of our life force, the very being of life itself. Now speed ahead some 8,000 years to the world of the ancient Israelites and to the very first reference to the heart in the Bible. Open the sixth chapter of Genesis and there in the story of Noah and the ark is the first mention of the heart. We're so giddy in love with the idea that lions and deer are sauntering two by two up the gangplank into the ark and of the stunning picture of the beautiful rainbow at the end of the flood, that we really forget easily that this picture is a sobering reminder and story about God's great disappointment with the failures of the entire human race to live faithfully and justly. The Lord saw the wickedness of humankind was great in all the earth and that Every inclination of the heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that God had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved the Lord to God's own heart. Throughout the years and throughout the Hebrew scriptures, both God and humans are both understood to have hearts. For the biblical writers, one's heart was a whole person's character and personality. It is to the heart that God speaks and God reveals God's own divine purpose. In the Bible, we find hundreds of stories and texts that describe the heart in a multitude of ways. But as always, the heart is central to the core of what it is to be human. We have sad hearts and proud hearts. We have glad hearts and upright hearts. We have trembling hearts and clean hearts. We have a faithful heart and we have fearful hearts. God says in Jeremiah, I will give my people a heart to know that I am the Lord their God, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. We know well the human heart is the seed of all wisdom and the wellspring of compassion. But it's also the place from which the both loathsome and good-for-nothing human schemes can emerge, accompanied with the most self-righteous of explanations and rationalizations, or even instances of blatant disregard for the intrinsic value of all human lives. In God's heart, there is never a sign of hopelessness. 
There is never mean spiritedness, but even God's heart can be filled with distress and fury and anguish, as well as filled with gladness and joy. Thankfully, God's heart is subject to being influenced and softened by compassion as people join their lives in a flourishing relationship with the Creator who live for equity among the diversity of peoples are actively engaged with the raw needs of the world and all its people. And story after story, God transforms human hearts. That is the powerful promise of this passage from Ezekiel that was read just a few moments ago. As it had been in the days before the great flood, the people of God, the community of Israel, had blundered and had gone astray. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the beautiful capital, had been destroyed, leveled by a horde of invaders. The people, the Israelites, had in fact been taken into Israel, into exile, into Babylon, by what was seen as the prophet to be a consequence of their faithlessness. The commandments of God held no sway. The elites dominated the people unfairly. Microaggressions, insults, and innuendo, and blatantly racial aggressions were commonplace. Injustice reigned supreme, and the needs of the hungry and the poor and the sick, the homeless and the broken, were ignored. The heart of the people had turned to stone. It had calcified. But Ezekiel, who had delivered messages of doom and gloom, had for once a message of extraordinary hope and restoration to share. I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their flesh and give them a new heart of flesh so that they may follow my statutes and keep my ordinances and obey them. They shall be my people and I shall be their God. Israel's prescription, God's prophecy was for the people to have a cardiac transplant. The heart of stone would be removed in a new heart, warm and vital. A heart of flesh would be placed within the corporate body of the community of Israel, and they would live to the glory of God, to do justice, to love mercy, and to humbly follow God wherever God might go. How is your heart? I recently asked a good friend. How is your heart? I wondered. She's the lead engineer for an international manufacturing firm that builds sophisticated scientific instruments, mass spectrometers and the like. She's been tri navigating tricky COVID-19 waters full of dangerous corporate cross currents and steep financial drops all while enduring trying periods of overwork, dissension within the ranks, and exhausting global travel, not to mention personal tumult. She's been circling the event horizon of burnout, and while bringing a colossal labor of love and an enormous financial profit to reality, and doing this against the backdrop of an epic pandemic and an overdue crisis of racial reckoning. 
Her answers, stunning and heartbreaking, came swiftly, wholeheartedly, the way words come from children's lips, simple and sincere. My heart is too broken to be a heart, she said. Look around. Look around us. We've set the country on fire all over again. And so now we sit. We sit in bewildered solidarity, and we mourn the immense loss of human life in the COVID-19 pandemic and the corresponding assault of anti-Black violence that highlights a long-standing sickness in the American body politic. The killings of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and Rashad Brooks are heartbreaking events on each and every level. So is a white woman's flagrant attempt to coerce Christian Cooper in New York City. Claiming national attention in part because of the compelling video evidence, these images show the way in which some white people feel entitled to use violence and intimidation to control and even kill black people. My heart is too broken to be a heart. Like so many people of faith whose hearts are open, my friend was deeply saddened and morally enraged and truly spiritually crushed by all of this. She wears the justified grief caused by these events as a heavy garment of holy lament. Something powerful was erupting from deep inside. Lament, we know, is a ruggedly honest statement that something is profoundly wrong or that someone who has dearly loved is now absent. So around our family rooms, our classrooms, our performance spaces, our work places, around our sanctuaries and stadiums, fresh cries of personal and communal lament are emerging. My heart is too broken to be a heart. We know from experience that lament expresses itself in many forms, groans, and generous tears and long periods of silence, outbursts of rage and quiet questioning, bittersweet recollection and long sweaty nights of turbulent tossing and turning. We lament because people matter so greatly to us. We lament because values like equity, human dignity, and the presumption of safety matter to all of us. We lament because deep down inside us there is an unquenchable hope that today's pain will not completely swallow tomorrow's possibilities of transformation and of hope as hard as that process might be. My heart is too broken to be a heart. You know, it's astounding, astounding just how delicate our human bodies can be. We have fragile bones that break. We have fragile lungs that collapse under the weight of a virus. We have fragile hearts that skip beats and fragile minds that seize and sputter as we age. Our fragile flesh pushes us into selfish greed, succumbs to lust, 
fixates on wealth drives us to narcissism or defensiveness or fury or even self-harm. This year, our fleshly tendencies have been on full display on the public stage as alternative facts are celebrated as truth. Science is pushed aside in favor of wishful thinking. A vision for respect for public safety languishes, and the pursuit of racial equity is undercut by partisan posturing. And the very symbols of our Christian faith are appropriated for political gain. And even dishonesty is celebrated as a virtue. Are our hearts too broken to be hearts? Honestly, it seems like in this very moment that our flesh, our bodies have a giant flaw built into them, a design flaw, like a car that deserves a, ma a manufacturer's recall. Surely, surely our creator must be tempted at times to leave this old junker by the side of the road, to just walk away and just leave it there. How many times can you call AAA? How many times do we expect to be rescued, to be hauled back to the repair shop for an overhaul? But time and time again, God intercedes on our behalf so that we might flourish. Our creator has made a pledge to us. God will keep the body, but put in a new engine. That's what I see in this promise in Ezekiel. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place on you, place you on your own soil. And you shall know that I, I the Lord am God. I have spoken and I will act. So what does it look like? What does it look like to have the spirit of the Lord within us? The only unblemished model for us is Jesus the Christ. In Romans, it is God's Spirit that promises to restart our defective beings. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies and, the, and through His Spirit that dwells in you. If we rely upon the Spirit of Christ to do its work, to guide our decisions and to thrust us forward, then I believe that holy catalyst can replace the weaknesses of our mortal flesh in our bodies and our defective hearts. Now, I don't know anybody who lives this way effortlessly, but I've watched people come very close. It's a marvel to observe self-control that serves the greater good. Compassion that weeps with those who weep. Persistent that, persistence that stays to the very end. And humility that no human ego can possibly produce. Nor do I know any community that does this work flawlessly, without great effort and intention. But I see congregations, and even our congregations, stepping into this opening to equip people with the importance of their own faith to reach and to work for anti-racism and for community and for diversity in this world. 
I want to be like Jesus. I want our community of faith to be that beloved community that welcomes all, opposes injustice, and disparages no one. To highlight the words of my colleagues, Rick Spaulding and Melissa Ann Rogers, I want to be part of a community of faith that exists as a means of bending the course of human history toward the places to which Jesus points us and toward the people to whom Jesus directs us. But the only way I have to admit that I have even the most remote of chances of coming near these stubborn hopes is to stop fantasizing that I can repair myself. The only way to restart is to acknowledge the design flaw in my own lousy self and pray that the one who created me hasn't given up on me just yet. Thanks be to God. Amen. Almighty God, we call upon you. Give ear to our voices crying out to you. And let our prayers be counted as incense before you. In gratitude for all that you have done for us, holy God, we pray for the people of God in every land, for those who continually teach the faith, for witnesses who by their example show your steadfast love, for all who are estranged from the church, for all who feel unwelcome by the church, and for the strength to walk in your ways, loving and caring for one another. Hear us, O oh God, your mercy is great. For nations, communities, and families torn by violence, for leaders and protesters, for managers and visionaries, for troublemakers and peacemakers, for those learning and those unlearning, for those doing a new thing and those struggling to let go, for those grieving and for those celebrating, hear us, O God, your mercy is great. For earth and all its riches, for soil and wetlands, trees and bushes, rivers and lakes, oceans and air, and for all the people who inhabit this great creation for the ability to choose life for all creatures and to honor the welfare of generations to come. Hear us, O oh God, your mercy is great. For those who are victims of injustice, for all people who are victims of white supremacy, for those living on the streets of our cities, for those who are unemployed or underemployed, for everyone affected by broken relationships, for people struggling with use disorders, anger, fear, or illness, for those who've been affected directly or indirectly by COVID-19, for all those prayers that we carry in our hearts. Hear us, O oh God, your mercy is great. For this community of faith, for those who join us in many different places, for the young and the old, 
for those with much faith and for those who'd like to have a little more, for those who long to know you, hear us, O oh God, your mercy is great. God of intimate creativity, who weaves together our lives across space and time, who in Jesus makes possible new beginnings, show your renewing hope in the midst of our lives. By your spirit, do something fresh in our hearts and let us be transformed by the power of your love. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.